Good morning. Ooh, you all are like awake this morning. A little extra coffee this morning, maybe. A couple of donuts. It's nice to have all that stuff back, isn't it? Um, it's, it's the small things in my life that make me happy. Um, man, I am so excited about this morning. I've been on a process these last few weeks uh, looking at this passage. I've, I, uh, I had to laugh when I first looked at it because I was like, why did the teaching team think I needed to talk about this? Um, but you're going to find out in a little while what I've learned, and I'm excited about it. So I want to remind us uh, just a little bit. I want to go back just for a little bit. Last fall, we started studying and learning from James. Do you all remember that series? And it, James is Jesus' brother, and he was um, trying to help us understand what being a true follower of Jesus really means. And then the beginning of this year, we dove into First Peter. Um, Peter is one of my favorite disciples. Like he and I share a lot in common. Um, but we were learning how Jesus uh, writes a new narrative in our stories. And now we find ourselves in First John, uh, where John, being the last living disciple uh, to have walked with Jesus, he's nearing the end of his life, and he's writing from a place of maturity based on his life experiences. Uh, which has allowed him to grow in his understanding of who Jesus is. And he's doing it from this place of passion for what really matters in our lives. And it's so important for us to understand why the authors of these books are writing the way they're writing, to, who, to whom they're writing them, what's happening around them, what's taking place that they're watching so that we can know how to study scripture for ourselves with the guidance and the, and the discernment of the Holy Spirit um, because we can so easily misunderstand, right? We can get focused on a part of the message and not the whole of the message. And so it's so important to understand context and not just take someone's word for it. And as we move into this second week talking about how we can misunderstand obedience, let's remind ourselves about the context surrounding John's words. John is appealing to the community around him to set their minds and their hearts firmly on the truths of Jesus. And he's doing this to warn against the false teachings that he's beginning to see in our end. There are individuals who are bending the truths, twisting and manipulating truths to make it work to their advantage. And in turn, what's happening is that they're leading people astray, causing chaos and misunderstanding and division between the true community of Christ followers. And it's the same struggle that we find ourselves in today. Jonathan mentioned last week that we often believe obedience is about morality and doing the right thing because that's what God wants us to do. And so often we believe the right thing becomes a checklist of do's and don'ts, rules that we must live and obey by. And we start associating obedience with behavior. And what John is wanting us to understand this morning is that obedience is really about fellowship. But there's something we need to get right in order to understand his words. So if you'll turn to 1 John 2, verse 28, and let's gain some insight together this morning. 1 John 2, 28. And he writes, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. 
So often as believers, when we hear that word abide, we immediately think we need to buckle down and get active, don't we? Sometimes we think we need to do more. We need to read our Bible more, pray more, serve more, do more. But abide can be translated as to dwell, remain, continue, stay. And with that definition, we begin to see that abide is really fellowship-based, not action-based. It centers around being with him. And John is about to show us why abiding is so important in our lives. But before we go any further, I want us to understand something. The lens in which we choose to see God determines how we understand scripture. And what I mean by that is if we choose to see God as this finger-pointing, shaming God, then we'll see that belief overlaid onto every word that we read. But if we choose to see him as a loving, merciful God, then the pages and chapters that we engage with are filled with love and acceptance, guidance, trust, faithfulness, forgiveness, and that all leads to one redemptive story. And listen, I have read the Bible for many, many years. I grew up in the church. Um, I've sat in numerous Bible studies. I've listened to tons of sermons, some great, some not so great. Um, and many, many times, do you know how many times even in listening and getting ready for services here on Sunday morning that I have to, I mean, get to read Jonathan's sermons before uh, you actually hear them? That's, it's really an honor. Love you wherever you're at. Um, here's why I say that. I've had a, I don't say that out of bragging at all. I say that because of the years that I've spent in scripture, what I've learned is that it, the lens that we use absolutely determines what we see. And that's why John says, drop down to chapter th uh, three, verse one, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. John's desire is that we choose the lens where we can see God clearly as a loving father, where we belong to him, where we're called children of God. His words that he writes, when we shall see him as he is, John's wanting us to take off these old lenses that are blurring our focus of truth and to see Jesus for who he is and how he wants to make us more like him. And so you might be thinking, Cindy, what is the big deal about the lens thing this morning? I'm so glad you asked, because we're about to encounter this passage that depending on the lens in which we're using can easily lead us to misunderstand what abiding in him really means. And so jump down to verse four. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. 
Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Okay, so now do you see why I was so thankful that they gave me this passage? <laughs> so here's, the, here's our dilemma this morning with this. If our lens of viewing God is one of him sitting on the throne watching our every move, making sure we obey his every word, and reading, then reading John's words, the words that we just read, could really be summed up like this. Hey, that's how I believe John would start it out. If you don't do what is right, if you're not living righteous, and by the way, you should be because Jesus himself is righteous, if you're continuing to sin, then you cannot be a child of God, so you must be a child of the devil. The evidence is in how you live. So in short, you better obey, check the boxes of the do's and don'ts, and live by the rules, and then you'll be a child of God. If that's the lens that we're choosing, the belief that we've bought into, then ultimately we end up living our lives in fear and confinement with all kinds of checklists and rules that feel more like suffocation than freedom. And yet somehow that little girl in me that sat in Mrs. Watts' Sunday school room for so many years where she was adamant that if we really, really loved God, that I would then spend no less than 30 minutes in my Bible every day, I would pray, or else. What does or else mean, right? And I interpreted that as the or else became the God of the Old Testament who displayed his wrath and would punish people when they didn't do what he wanted them to do. It's when he became a God of law for me rather than a God of love. And for years and years, I spent a lot of energy trying to be the good girl and making sure that I lived by all the do's and don'ts. I was wrapped up in fear because not only did these rules weigh me down heavily, but this lens controlled me for such a long time. And friends, that's not what the plan was originally about. It's not what the definition of what being obedient with God is about. And it's certainly not the gospel. Because if we choose the lens like John is wanting us to choose, then we see the kind of love that God has given to us, the lens where God is a God of love and mercy. And, we, and if, if we take that lens and we go back and read the same passages again, starting with verse 4, we begin to see the constraints lessen and the do's and don'ts begin to fade, which opens us up to see the whole of the message. And it gives us greater understanding of what living in obedience and abiding him really looks like. And it's not this complicated, controlling thing that we make it. So we're going to try this out this morning. Are you, are you game? Good. Thank you. Um, we're going to try this out. The old lens, we're going to go back and look at that, the same verses, starting in verse 4. 
the old lens representing the shame on you finger pointing God, or the new lens where God is a God of love and mercy. And we're going to see how these words actually end up guiding us on how to be in fellowship with God. So go back to verse 4. In that we see that John writes towards the end, sin is lawlessness, meaning it breaks God's law. Now, if we have the old lens that we're looking through, we read that our sin breaks relationship with him. With the new lens, it allows us to understand we can't break relationship because we are called children of God and we have been since the beginning. Think about it. When Adam and Eve were in the garden and they sinned and they were removed from it, the relationship with God continued. He didn't stop loving them. He didn't stop talking to them. Their sin did put distance between them. It did break fellowship with him, but not relationship with him. Can you see the difference? Verse 5, John quickly reminds us that God, since the beginning, had a plan all along. His wrath displayed in the Old Testament was poured out on Jesus when he was on the cross, and the sacrifice took care of our sin, and it tore the veil, giving us full, direct access to God. So he's just simply reminding us, hey, there was a plan. If we go to verse 6, we see where John writes, no one keeps sinning if they abide in Jesus. The old lens, we read, we will never sin if we abide in him. Now, folks, that's a lot of pressure. The new lens will tell us, listen, God knows we're human, okay? He made us. In studying the context behind John's words where he says does not sin, it, it actually means does not live a lifestyle of sin. God knows we're going to make mistakes and we are going to sin. And while it does break our fellowship, the beauty is that he's given us this tool of confession. If we just own what we've done, it actually draws us back to him. And the closer we are, our need to be with him becomes stronger and greater. And it can lessen that desire to sin because we don't want to be apart from him. Look at verse 7. Let no one deceive you. Practice righteousness as he is righteous. The old lens that, on that word righteous can be so misunderstood and we interpret it that we must live perfect, be perfect, because Jesus was perfect. And he knew no sin. But trying to be perfect is confining and suffocating. And in the new lens, if we look at that, remembering that God is a God of love and mercy, John's words are simply showing us that we need to guard our heart and our mind against the lies and the false teachings. Remind, he's reminding us that we have a Holy Spirit to help guide us and discern the truth. That living in righteousness is really about living close to, living in right relationship with him, abiding in him. And here comes my favorite verse, verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Wow, that's some really harsh words, right? In that old lens. If we put into practice the habit of sinning, then we're of the devil. Wait, like what? I had to read that like three or four times. Is that what John really means with this? I want, here's where I want you to stay with me for just a little bit, with the new lens. John is taking us back to the beginning, even before the moment with Adam and Eve in the garden. They were not the first to break fellowship with God. 
I want that to sink in just a little bit. They were not the first to break fellowship with God. There was a time when the devil was known as Lucifer, meaning star of the morning, and he was not an enemy of God. His role was one of the highest ranking in the angelic host. He was the closest in proximity to God. He was beautiful. Ezekiel 28 tells us that his being was made of every precious stone. Stones meaning jewels. And that when God's light would show on, shine on him, he would reflect that back to God. That he was a, actually, a, his being was actually a musical instrument. He was in charge of praise and worship. And that doesn't sound anything like what the evil, scary clown in it looks like, right? But pride entered the picture, and one day Lucifer chose himself over God, believing that he could be his own God. And God removed him from the heavens, and the fellowship between them was broken. And from that moment on, Lucifer, now known as the devil or Satan, has been trying to convince us that we can be independent from God, that we don't need him, that we can be in control. And we see the evidence of this when he attempts to get Job to curse God in the midst of his suffering, or when Jesus was in the wilderness and he's weak and tired, hungry, and isolated. Both situations, the lens of truth determine their response and their fellowship with God remains and Satan is defeated. But to this day, he continually tries to profoundly influence us if we fail to understand the gospel. When we don't have a clear understanding of God's plan from the beginning and see through this new lens that he is loving and merciful, if we don't see that Jesus is the Christ, fully God, fully man, and believe in all that he accomplished on the cross, and we do, if we don't see that that tomb was empty, then it becomes easier for his influence in our lives, in our daily lives. And he has only one goal, to break our fellowship with God. It's why John says we need to abide in him. It's, like he, it's why he started this passage off this way today. It's we need to abide in him. We need to stay close to him because it's the only place to know love and truth. If we continue on in verse 9 and 10, once again, John's ready. No one who knows God will ever make a practice of sinning. And it will be evident by our actions whether we are a child of God or a child of Satan. The old lens causes doubt as to whose we are when we sin. And the new lens gives us the insight to know we reflect the one we follow. Last Thanksgiving, um, my nephew and his wife had twins, Henry and Harmony, and it has been so much fun to watch them grow over these last few months. Um, and I can't be begin to tell you how many times I've heard uh, Grammy say that Henry looks just like his dad or, or, Har or Harmony looks just like her, her mom. These kids are beginning um, to look like their parents, their mannerisms, their temperaments, even their facial expressions. They reflect those of their parents, both good and the not so good. And it's what John is saying when, when we practice sinning, we're not reflecting Jesus. We don't look like him, and we certainly don't act like him. And the evidence of the one we choose to reflect will be known and felt by those around us. 
You guys, John's story, his whole life was changed because of Jesus. Over time, the prescription of his lenses, they've changed. The once young, immature son of thunder that Jesus once called him has not only aged, but he's matured in his knowledge and his understanding of truth because he's continued to abide in him. And that's what John wants us to understand this morning. In the midst of all that we've read, here's what he wants us to get. Our proximity to Jesus and the lens in which we choose to see him determines everything in our lives. Everything. It determines everything. How we live, how we love, how we see, how we serve each other, the decisions we make, the way we think, how we spend our money, the path we choose when temptation and trials come along our way, how real our faith becomes, and how deep we learn to trust him. It determines everything. And over the last several months, in the midst of some various conversations with friends, they've been using words like dismantle, deconstruct, reframe, to describe how their life situations are causing them to question everything they thought they knew to be true about God. Their situations range from a child who's an addict to another one who's lost their job after 15 years, yet another one has lost four families, all just within weeks of each other. And what I'm watching is that their prescription is changing. In the midst of some really difficult things, they're gaining understanding and clearer focus as to who God really is, what walking with actually means. They're accepting that they don't know everything and they can't control anything, except how they react in these circumstances that they find themselves in and which lens they choose to see it all through. Even in my own journey, these last few years, my lenses have changed. That little Sunday school girl in me uh, is understanding by exchanging the confinement of old lenses for new ones there's been so much healing that's been brought in ways that I could have never have imagined. Just the other day, I lost these, this new pair of glasses that I have. So I found some old ones. I thought that would be fine. And I put them on, and while I could see, I really couldn't see. Things were blurry, and the small print was non-existent. No, no judging um, there. But you know what the truth is? I finally found these, obviously. And you know what the truth is? my lenses are going to need to continue changing as I get older because it will be necessary for me to see things clearer, kind of like John. Susie shared with us at the beginning of this series that the course of maturity for believers is this. We gain increased intimacy with God when we move in closer and closer in deep fellowship. And by doing that, we gain greater understanding. And you know the beauty about that is God never stops offering that. It doesn't matter if you're 90 or if you're one day old. There's always things, there's always the more that he wants us to experience, to see. Not to just do, but to be in him so that he can show and reveal new things to us. That's why John's words to us this morning matter so much. They're meant to bring our view into focus on the things that truly matter. The gospel story is not one of wrath, rules, constraints, or punishment. 
It is a redeeming story of God's love and mercy. That has been in place since the beginning. And through Jesus, it was designed to bring us into deeper fellowship with him where we can abide. In just a few minutes, we're going to get ready to move into a time of reflection. And I pray if there's just one thing that you walk out with today. I pray that it's this, and we've already said it, and I'm going to ask him to put it up again. Our proximity to Jesus and the lens in which we choose to see him determines everything. John saw Jesus with his own eyes. He walked with him, he experienced things with him, and he tells us that a day is coming when we too will see him as he really is that that day will come. Do we, do we really grab that? Like all of us will see Jesus at some point. All of us. But can I ask you something this morning? When you hear those words, when you, when you read those words that John has written, what happens inside of your spirit when you hear those? We will see him. Because depending on which lens you're looking through, those words can either stir in our spirits that, yes, I'm in agreement with this. This is truth, that one day I will see him. And I can't even imagine what that moment will be like from a holy, sacred moment. And I think it'll be like nothing we've ever experienced before. And that truth can allow us to breathe and settle into some deep trust of what one day will be. But if those words, we will see him, if those words cause some fear or maybe some anxiety, maybe even a little bit of panic, would you give yourself permission this morning to explore the why behind those? Could it be that you're looking through the false lens based on suffocating rules and the do's and don'ts and the behaviors that you believe to be obedience? and not the truth of the new lens that Jesus came to give us freedom and draw us back into the fellowship with God. And that's what God wanted from the beginning. The worship team's gonna come out and sing a song over us as we get ready to move into a time of communion. And there's a few lines that kept grabbing my attention on this song. It says, he is different by far from our broken conclusions. You are not the God my pain has conceived. You are deeper and stronger than my eyes can see. Can I gently say maybe this morning, it's time to change the lenses? Remember, it's your lens that determines what a body looks like for you. It's either something that you're drawn to or that you dread. We wanted to give you some time this morning for communion and some reflection. Let me say, if you have ever doubted, ever, for a minute, or you're doubting even this morning that, that God loves you, the elements that you're about to hold in your hands are the very touchable, tangible answers to those doubts. It's why Jesus said on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, 
which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Do you know why I think he said in remembrance of me? Because I think he knew we're human and that we would forget. I think he knew the enemy would try to toss us lies from now and then. And he would be like, this is the thing, These are the, this is the evidence, this bread and this wine. So during this song, feel free to pick up the communion elements if you haven't done so. If you're online, you can use whatever you have available. And when you're ready to take these elements, just take them on your own. You can take them with your family. Just create that sacred holy moment with Jesus. The prayer walls are open up again. If you feel like you need to go over and write a prayer or say some things to him. The candles, of course, are always available to light. This time is your time. So spirit, would you press on our hearts the things we need to look at this morning? Would you give us the courage to lay down the old lens and to see you in the new as you are?